Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. Good morning. For those of you who might be curious, um, the reason you don't keep playing a guitar after one of the strings breaks is because it throws off, it changes the tension on the neck, and most of the other strings are out of tune as well. And one of the things I've noticed is that it always breaks on the first song, so I noticed that. But, uh, man, Toby did a great job. You know, uh, amen. You know, playing a guitar with one string broken is like trying to follow God when one area of your life is totally out from underneath his will. The rest of them get a little whacked out, too. So I see sermon illustrations everywhere. I can't help it. So just, you know, anyway, um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 6, 7, and 8 today, and uh, we're going to start in Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 8, and we're going to talk about Stephen. Stephen was a man who'd recently been set aside as a deacon by his church in the scripture, and then the next we see of him, he's doing some amazing things, miracles and other things among the people, and it leads to really the the Jewish leadership in, in Jerusalem, their last opportunity to repent and turn to Christ, and it also leads to the first opportunity for people who are not Jews to hear and receive the gospel. And so his life and death plays a a significant part for both the Jews and for those of us who are believers. And so we'll start in Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And if you'd please stand and honor the reading of God's word. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of free slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, the... The Jews are God's chosen people. And at this point, Stephen is a Jew. This is an argument amongst family. And all the apostles were of the the Jewish faith. They were grown up as Jews. And at this point in Jerusalem, the only ones that have received or been given the gospel are Jews. And so now Stephen is just preaching and doing what God has called him to do. And apparently God had his hand on him in a special way. And when you look now at the life of Stephen, it's easy to see that God gave him an extra dose of power, an extra dose of grace, an extra dose of strength, because he had a purpose for him. And one of the hard parts is to realize that part of that purpose was to give his life for the the cause of Jesus, for the ministry of Christ. And that's something that we would look at now, and maybe people would say, well, what a tragedy. But the fact is that he lived a life that mattered, and he died a good death. And we'll see that in a moment as well. 
And, you know, we live in a culture now where so many people have invested so much in this world that we forget as believers that this is not our home, that heaven is our home, and that the place that we are truly home in will put all of this to shame. And so believers need to learn we should be living as though this is not our home and without fear of going there whenever God might decide. And it's not a tragedy to go to heaven. You know, I, I get it that, it's, that it feels tragic for us to lose people when we're not ready to, for people to go when we don't think it's their time, but it is never a tragedy for one of God's children to go home. That is always a celebration. And so I want us to go back and look because the, the, the Jews have been given warning after warning. The prophets came. Stephen begins to preach. And it's kind of amazing to me that he preaches the longest sermon in the, in the New Testament. And other than the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave, but amongst the disciples, Peter's sermon wasn't this long. And I'm like, man, how in the world, why in the world would these guys, if you look at it on the surface, why would they listen to what he had to say? Well, when, it's, when your face begins to glow like an angel, I guess people pay attention to what you're talking about. So they just stopped, and Stephen was able to, to get the whole thing out there. And he goes back and he begins to talk about the beginning of the Jewish faith. It began with Abraham, the covenant that God made with Abraham when he told him what was to come, what he was going to do. And even then, he, the promise was that the gospel was for all people. He said, through your descendants, all nations are going to be blessed. And so the, the intention from the very beginning was, look, you're gonna, you're, you're, your descendants are going to be God's people. And someday God's going to go to God's people, give them a message, and they're going to take it to the rest of the world. And it's going to bless all the world. And so over and over again, he shows how the witnesses that came to testify about the goodness of God, a lot of times the prophets were killed by the Jews. They were treated poorly. Even some of those who testified about Jesus. And so in the New Testament, we see different times where God gives them another opportunity, where God tells them what's about to happen. The first one is in Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. John the Baptist is one that many believe was of uh, an Essene, and that was a, a particular tribe of Pharisee. He was adopted, he was the son of a Pharisee, a leader, a priest in the temple. And as a matter of fact, his father had an encounter with an angel while he was in ministering to the Lord in the Holy of Holies, which was the most amazing place that a, that a priest would go to. And maybe just once in their lifetime would they be allowed in there. So he came, he was of the tribe of priests, and many believe that he was part of a sect called the Essenes, who had taken the vows of the Nazarite, which Samson took as well. And that was to not drink of the fruit of the vine, to, to, to um, put aside the things of the world. They lived a very austere life. He lived out in the wilderness with a camel's hair coat and ate bees and honey. Or uh, not bees, locusts and honey. He dipped the locusts. Out. Probably eating a bee would be problematic, but I don't know. As a prophet, he probably could have without any problem. I don't know. Whatever. I know there were bees then because they had honey, so get off me, all right? So anyway, he's living this life where, and he comes, he starts appearing in the wilderness and preaching and people start flocking to him. And at one point, the Pharisees come up to him and it says in verse, chapter three, verse seven of Matthew, but when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed, 
Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. See, he's going to separate those who appear to be of the kingdom of God. And this is happening, and it happens with the children of Israel. Hey, they were God's chosen people. They were chosen to be priests to the rest of the world, to demonstrate the goodness of God so that God might show who he was through the way that he treated them. And they began to think that that was their birthright, that as long as they were born Jews, then they were good. They were all fine. But John tells them, it is not about how you were born. It's about what you believe, and it is about faith. And so he begins to call them out and give them a warning about what is to come and that they need to turn from their ways. You see, the whole thing about following Christ, it's not about birth. And you might, well, you know, what does that have to do with, with this country? You know, there are still people that believe they're going to heaven because they live in a Christian nation, quote, Christian nation, or that their parents know Jesus, or that their grandfather was a pre preacher, or that they've lived a good, they, they don't understand. And that's a trap that we can fall into sometimes because we look around and we see, well, you know, I, I grew up in a Christian home. I go to church. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Hey, how many of y'all got a barn at home? Anybody? You got livestock in your barn or whatever, but you know, if you go out and sleep in your barn tonight, you're not going to wake up tomorrow a cow or a horse. You're still going to be a person because just because you go into a building doesn't mean you become that. So going into a church doesn't make you a Christian. Sleeping in your garage ain't going to make you wake up a Maserati tomorrow. <laughs> you're still going to be a person. You have to believe. You have to put your faith in Christ. It is by faith, not by birth. In John 8, Jesus now gives a warning to the leaders in the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you truly are my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You know, one of the things that has become more and more difficult through the years for me is to see people that I may have admired early on. Maybe I even, God used something they said or that they wrote or that they uh, did to bless my life or my ministry or teach me something. It's, it's been really difficult to see in the end some people that I really believed in turn away from the teachings of Christ. And you know what? At that point, I, I, you got to draw a line. You know, Jesus didn't come. He said it clearly. He did not come to bring peace in the world, but a sword to divide a man from his wife, a, a father from his son. 
Because here's the thing is, you know, you could just as easily call this, this book. It's called the, Act of the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Early Church. But you could also just call this the Book of Conflict. Because there's conflict in every step in Acts. There's conflict between the church and the synagogues, the, the, the apostles and the leaders of the, of the Jewish nation. There's conflict between people within the church that are trying to lie or to twist the truth. There's conflict. And if you're going to follow Jesus and if you're going to hold to his teaching, there's going to be conflict, even with people that you love. That's part of the deal. You have to choose. I've seen people through the years choose to just be friends or to just let it go or to make it no big deal. Maybe I've even seen them leave churches because there was conflict and their friends were involved in the conflict even when they weren't. There are friendships that are divided. There are problems between parents and kids between kids themselves because one chooses to hold to the teachings of God's word and another chooses not to. And look, there's a difference between, you know, it, it's a different dynamic when you argue with somebody that's outside the family, isn't it? I wouldn't go argue with somebody that doesn't know Christ about some kind of teaching or doctrine in scripture. Why would I argue with them about it? My job is just to tell them the truth and then move on. But when it's a family member, you're called to love them, but you're also called to stand for the truth. You know, we're, our church is part of the Southern Baptist Convention, and that is by choice. We choose to cooperate. We give, by what you give every week, there, we send a portion of that every week to missions within our area, and we also send it to our convention who uses it to fund missionaries all across the world and all across North America, tens of thousands of them. And we're able to be a part and, to, and to, to collectively between our churches do more than we could do together. And one of the things that has set us apart has been a willingness to stand on the truths of the teachings of God's word. And this week, and there have been throughout time, a, a conflict between a church that decides, well, you know what? We don't really think this part of the Bible says that. And we're, we're going to say it, means, it doesn't really mean that. It means something different. And now our convention is taking the step to disfellowship them. And it's not easy because you know what? We love those folks, but at some point you have to make a stand. And if you choose to not stand or to remain faithful to the teachings of his word, then we got conflict already. You are truly my disciples. If you remain faithful to my teachings, you know, there, there's all kinds of, you'll see, well, when you get to this Greek word and it could mean blah, 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 blah. But God's word is plain. You know, he ends up saying in, in short sentences or, or words things that, that communicate a lot of different things. Somebody, well, you know, it doesn't say it's a sin to look at pornography. You know what Jesus said? I, you've heard that it's that any man who sleeps with a woman is not his wife has committed adultery with her. But I say to you, anyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. You know what? He pretty much gave us a clear picture of why pornography is a sin with that sentence, plus thousands of other things. The truth is always simple. And when you try to make it 
twisted around so that it doesn't really incur, in, in, it doesn't include your sin, you're not holding to the teachings of God's word. The simplest interpretation is always the right interpretation, in my opinion. I'm not smart enough to figure something else out. You know, I'm not smart enough to, if the Bible says, it says clearly that an elder or a pastor, senior pastor in a church, is to be the husband of one wife. Now, to me, the simplest interpretation of that is, and I've, I've preached on this recently, that it's supposed to be a man. Now, are there leadership spots for women? Hundreds of them. I'm talking about a senior pastor elder. That's the one thing. That the Bible says that's to be a man. And if you can show me without violating some other scripture how a woman can be a husband of one wife, then we'll talk about it. But until then, the simplest interpretation is it's just what the Bible says. It doesn't matter whether you like it or I like it or anybody else likes it. You got a hold of that. And if you want to twist it around to be something different, hey, good for you, but not here. We're not doing that. Now, we also don't try to say, we don't, we don't try to in, enforce that, well, this is our opinion about this, and we, we're going to try to find some scripture to back that up. That's not how it works either. We can have different opinions on things, but when it comes to the teaching of God's word, you can't compromise. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so they responded, but we're descendants of Abraham. Hey, we're born into it. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will sit, be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. And then catch this part. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. You see, he came to set them free from sin. But they thought because they'd been born as a descendant of Abraham that they were covered. And Jesus tells them, you're not. John 1, 11 through 13, he came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about God's chosen people and their place in history, the history past and the history that is to come. And we're going to talk about they're still God's chosen people. And there's value in that. But here's what I want to tell you right now. I believe Jesus is telling us, do you know what's better than being, God chose those people to be evangelists later on, to, to demonstrate to the world his goodness and his power. But to those who believe in Jesus, he gave the right to become a son or a daughter of God Almighty, to be able to call him father. That is better. It's better. Chosen for a purpose is good, and they were chosen and God took care of them. He gave them houses that they didn't build in the promised land. He gave them fields and crops that they didn't cultivate. He gave them all kinds of things. And his promise is still true. God protects Jerusalem and protects Israel just as we should. We should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Not, it's not about honoring the Jewish people. It's about honoring God. And they're still his chosen people. 
But here's the thing. I would much rather be a child, a son or a daughter of God than to be one of his chosen people. If the son sets you free, you are truly free. He came to his people and they even, even they rejected him. They re, were reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Now, some of the words that Jesus spoke to the religious leaders, they were harsh. The words that John spoke to him were harsh. At one point, Jesus called them like whitewashed tombs. In other words, you're painted on the outside, but dead on the inside. I'm pretty sure there's no way you can twist that into a compliment. Pretty sure. But here's why Jesus was so upfront with them, why John was so upfront with them, and why Stephen is going to be so upfront with them. Because they needed to hear the truth. And here's the other part. To whom much is given, much is required. Luke 12, 48. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. You see, not only were the, the Jews given information, not only were they told about what was wrong, God gave them the law. He gave it to them in the form of tablets. They wrote it down in the, in the Pentateuch. That's the first five chapters of the Bible where the law of God is given to his people. The history of the world is given. So they knew what right and wrong was. And yet they, then they had been entrusted. Not only that, they were to glorify God before the whole world. And they failed on both counts. Now, nobody can live up to the law in its fullness. Everybody violates the law. But they, at different points, weren't even trying. They rebelled against God over and over again. And that's what Stephen starts to outline in his, in his message to them. He talks, goes all the way back to Abraham. He goes through Abraham, Joseph, about how the patriarchs threw him, even though he was God's messenger. He came to him to tell him about what was coming. What did they do? They threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. Moses, when he came in to protect the people, they rejected him. He stayed in the wilderness for 40 years until God sent him back to deliver his children. And even after he was, had proven to them, they rejected him too. And so why? Because much has been entrusted to them, and so much is required. Romans 9, 4, there are the people of Israel chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He showed himself to them. He appeared on the mountain so they could see who he was. He went as a, as a pillar of fire during the day, or excuse me, at night, and a cloud during the day so they could see his presence. He constructed the tabernacle. He gave them instructions about how to build it, and then his presence would come down right in the middle of them. So he showed them his glory. He entrusted them with his word. He gave them a mission, and that mission was when the Messiah came, they were to tell the whole world about Jesus. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. And so the reason why the judgment upon them is so harsh at this point and has been at different times through history is because much was revealed to them and much was entrusted to them. 
Now here's, you're like, well, what does that have to do with us? Well, now that's us. God's entrusted much to us. Number one, he's, what's he given us? He's given us the right to be forgiven of all of our sins and to, to be a son or a daughter of God, to be able to come before God, approach the throne room with confidence and be able to call God our Father, to bring our requests before him, to be his child. And as that, we are co-heirs with Christ in everything that God has promised him to someday bring the world in subjection and to make it into a perfect world. We've, that we're co-heirs with Christ. So we've been given much and we've been entrusted with much. We've been entrusted with the responsibility to share the good news of Jesus to the world around us. And there are all kinds of ways that we do that. You know, we, we, as a church, we participate in missions like I talked about earlier. You know, some of your money goes to Denver where they're planting a church. And man, Colorado needs Jesus. I'm just going to be honest with you right now. It's pretty, but they need Jesus. We're, we support mission work in other countries. We're working on one in the Dominican Republic. We're working on a mission in, in Africa that we want to be a part of. And so some of your money goes all over the world. And then through the Southern Baptist Convention, it goes to missionaries. 30, I believe there's like 30,000 missionaries all across the world. And we help support missionaries all across the world in North America. And so we're a part of sharing. And then not only that, but we, as a church, we reach out. And you're a part of doing that. When we go out and do outreaches, when we uh, have special times where we encourage people to bring friends so that we can share the gospel. We equip people, hopefully, to, to go out and be able to share the good news of Jesus themselves. When I do the invitation time at the end of the service and invite people into a, a, a relationship with Christ, I do it pretty much the same way because I want you, and you're like, well, you know, he's going to do that same thing. Don't check out, listen. Because I want to do it enough that you know how to go out and do it. That's the point. And so that when you have an opportunity, because that's the thing, Stephen didn't wake up that day thinking, man, I'm going to go talk to the, the religious leaders but God orchestrated it and gave him that moment and gave him that opportunity and actually shut everybody up so he could say everything that God wanted him to say. And so we've been given much. You know, when I was growing up, I remember, you know, they, they would do, they used to do like Christian comic books back then or books and stuff. And so when you were little, you'd read Christian comic books about real heroes of the faith. And there was a guy, I'll never forget his story but he somehow or another had access into Russia and he would smuggle Bibles into Russia knowing that if he got caught, it cost him his life. And there were people there that helped him in Russia so that he could take the Bible to people in Russia so they could have the written word of God in a, in a language that they understood. And people risked their lives to have a copy of God's word. And you know what? Many of us, we have untold Bibles. How many sitting at home 
How many of them are collecting dust? I'm not saying you can use them all. We've been given what people just a couple hundred years ago, and even 50 years ago, and even now in different parts of the world would risk their life to have. We have it in our possession. All, we have all the full revelation of God, the whole counsel of God. We have it easily accessible to us. We've been given much, and as a result, much is required. He gets through this whole sermon all the way through the history of the Jews, and he gets to the very end, and he makes like a closing argument, you know, where like in the courtroom movies, the dramatic spot at the end where they point the finger at the person who's really guilty. He goes, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. He finished his argument. It says in verse 54, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. And they shook their fists at him in rage. You know, when you, if you're really going to follow Jesus and live according to his teachings, there will be conflict. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. You know that one line? There's a lot of violence on the other side of that line. They rushed at him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord don't charge them with the sin. And with that, he died. The last words on his mouth were think, talking about the glory of God and loving the very people that were putting him to death. And you know what? You can look at that and go, man, what a tragic thing. But the fact is, what a glorious homecoming that was. What a glorious homecoming. Because in the next moment, he was in the presence of God. He was home. His troubles, his difficulties, it was over. And he did the job that God sent him to do. And you know what? The Bible doesn't tell you this, but I can guarantee you with, I know this for a fact, that he didn't regret it for a second. 
You know something, sometimes, I'm not saying, I, I don't know. I think there's coming a time where people are going to be targeted and murdered or killed for being believers. I think there's going to come a time where believers are going to be put in jail are going to be prosecuted. I, I believe that. And here's the deal. Are, are we going to hang on to the things that we have here? Or are we going to live like we really believe that our home's in heaven and it's not here? We're going to have to make a choice. Stephen made the choice. And as a result, there was a, there's a huge shift. Now, I want to talk about the Jewish people for just a moment. That was their last opportunity that we know of in the New Testament where somebody, where God sent them a messenger. You know, the, John the Baptist did it, the prophets before him, Jesus. Peter had told them, this Jesus whom you crucified, now Stephen's told them, and there's not any other record of them being sent a messenger like that. But here's the thing, God's faithful. It says in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. And so the Jews are still God's chosen people. And someday, now I'm not speaking for those who've died already, but someday the Jews that are left on this earth will see the truth. It, it's promised in God's word. Zechariah 12, 10, then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. There will come a point where they will know. Revelation 1, 7, look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations will mourn for him. Yes, amen. In Romans 12, 11, 2 through 6, it says, No, God has not rejected his own people, whom he chose from the very beginning. Do you realize what the scriptures say about this? Elijah the prophet complained to God about the people of Israel and said, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And do you remember God's reply? No. I have 7,000 others who have never bowed down to Baal. It is the same today. For a few people of Israel, few of the people of Israel have remained faithful because of God's grace, his undeserved kindness in choosing them. And then in Romans 11, 25 through 27, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the, we don't have any reason to feel superior to those who are Jews, Israelis, God's chosen people. Some of the people have hard hearts, of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles come to Christ, and so all Israel will be saved. At that point, whoever's left. As the scriptures say, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem, and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness, and this is my covenant with them that I will take away their sins. Revelation talks about the number 144,000 will be saved in those days before Christ returns for the great battle. Now, I don't know if that's a symbolic number. Nobody knows. You know, it's, it's mixed up in the 12 tribes, 12 times 12,000, 144,000. How many that will be? I, nobody knows. 
But there will come a point where even the Jews that are left are going to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. And so God's going to fulfill his promise to them in the end. And as a result of what happened with Stephen, God's still faithful, even though that was, might have been their last opportunity to have a messenger from God, God's still faithful to them. That's why Israel exists. Now, they've, the, the Jews have been through some very dark times throughout history. And most of it is because of their rebellion against God. But God still has carved out this place in the promised land where they live, surrounded by nations whose most of them in their very constitutions want to kill them. And yet God's protected them. And that's why as a, an American citizen, I support our country supporting Israel. Because the Bible tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, to pray for its prosperity, so that God would be proven faithful. And then the second part of that is that's the last opportunity just for Jews. From that moment, it says in Acts 8.1, Saul was one of the witnesses and one of the ones that witnessed the stoning, and they laid down cloaks at his feet. He approved and was leading in the death of Stephen, who becomes Paul. He was one of the, the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So what happens is that's the last time that the gospel is for the Jews only. And so Stephen's message began the spreading of the gospel that's come to us. They go to Samaria, where Jews would not go. But many of the church went to Samaria and began to preach the word to Samaritans. And the, the tribe of Samaria was considered to be half Jewish because they had left and gone against God's will and had married people of other faiths. And so Jews would not associate with Samaritans, but the gospel goes there now. And before long, God tells Peter, to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to everyone. And so Stephen, his death is the beginning of the gospel being shared to the rest of the world. He had a part to play. We don't really know much or anything about what he did before this, but he made a mark. His life mattered. He was obedient to God in the face of, of trials that most of us can't even imagine. And God used his death as the beginning of taking the gospel to the whole world. You know, sometimes we don't think of ourselves as being all that important. And I bet Stephen probably didn't either before this happened. He wasn't a man of renown. He had a good reputation. They set him aside as a deacon. The word deacon means servant. His job was to serve the widows. There was a conflict so that the apostles could devote themselves to the word of God and to prayer. He served well. But God had a special purpose for him. And you know what? There's no way that he could have even dreamed that he would have that kind of opportunity to speak before all the leaders of, of Israel in Jerusalem on that day. But he did. 
And here's the thing for us. You're going to have an opportunity at some point to take a stand and to share the good news of Jesus. It may be with one person. It may be with a group of them. But the Bible tells us always be ready to give an account for the hope that is in you. We should always be ready because we never know when that moment's going to come. But when it comes, we need to take advantage of it. And we need to be ready. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? The good news, you know, I wonder sometimes what, what might have happened if the leaders had repented in that moment and trusted Jesus. That's what God wanted. Who knows what would have happened? But the fact is they didn't. But the gospel of Jesus could not be stopped. Whether the people that he had ordained to spread the news were going to accept it and take their part or not. And now it falls to us. And the message is still the same. It doesn't matter your birthright. It doesn't matter what you were, what kind of family you were born into. The, the best, the worst, or somewhere in between for most of us. Most of us. Being born of a certain family doesn't take you any farther away from a relationship with Jesus. Being raised in a godly family with parents that love the Lord and try to teach you doesn't bring you, doesn't make you saved either. We all have to have a relationship with Jesus. It's by faith. And so each of us has to choose what are we going to do with Jesus? And so here's the thing. The first thing you have to know is that we've all sinned. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. So everyone has sinned and separated from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us. And that's the second thing you got to believe in Jesus. You got to know that you're a sinner and ask forgiveness of your sins. You got to believe in Jesus. Jesus was God's son, is God's son. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose on the third day and he is still alive. You have to believe on Jesus. And then the last thing, it says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You have to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you've not done that, if you can't remember a time where you've trusted Christ, maybe you have doubts or maybe you know you haven't. I want to encourage you today. I'm going to say a prayer of salvation and you can repeat the words that I pray or pray them in your own words. But if you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, that you're right with God and that you will be his forever, I want to invite you to pray this with me. Just pray in your heart. God will hear you, but pray with me now. Dear God, thank you for loving me and thank you for Jesus. God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and life. Cleanse me and make me yours. I believe Jesus is your son.
I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose on the third day. So today, I trust Jesus as my Savior. And I confess him as my Lord. Now, without anybody else looking around, here's what I want to ask you to do. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. You don't have to say anything to the rest of the church. But here's what I want you to do. If you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, I just want you to look up at me right now and keep looking until I see you. I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. So look up at me right now. If you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, okay? All right? Okay, I see you. All right. Okay, got you. All right. Now, I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. And I also want to give you the opportunity. If you'd like to talk with someone about your decision today, in a few moments, John will be here at the front. He's going to dismiss us in a word of prayer. You can just come up to him after the service, and we have people that are ready and would love to sit down and talk to you and answer any questions and talk to you about the next steps of following Jesus. If you can't do that today or you'd rather do it this way, that's fine. There's a number on the screen. You can text SAVE to that number, or you can use that QR code right by there, and it'll open up just a basic form. We're not going to ask for your personal information, but we'd love to get back with you. If you do one of those as soon as we can, and we'll set up a time to talk with you in person or over the phone. And it is important that you tell someone so I want to pray for you right now. For those who've made that decision to trust Christ. And I want to pray for each of us that God would help us to be ready for our opportunity when it comes. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your love. And Father, I pray for those that made a decision today to trust Jesus. That God, you would encourage them. That you would strengthen them. And that, Father, you would speak to them through your word and help them to find the church, Lord, where they can grow and be a part and hear your word. Father, thank you for bringing them here today. And thank you, Lord, for their new relationship with you. Father, I pray for each of us that we would always be ready to give an account of the hope that is in us. And, Lord, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.